The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. The Deputy Prime Minister of Japan, Tazo Aro, has said the WHO, the World Health Organization, should be renamed the CHO, the Chinese Health Organization. He's right. And the American president, the British prime minister, and Canada's quarantined mammy singer should all be saying the same. That Beijing Bob who heads up the WHO is a hack Politburo propagandist and his contemptible Canadian colleague Bruce Aylwood is likewise only more inept. The WHO doesn't have China's excuse. China is a sovereign state prosecuting what it perceives to be, however dark, its national interest. The WHO is supposed to represent the world's interest. Its largest funder is the United States, which means if you're a U.S. taxpayer, as I am, you're paying for Beijing, Bob. The old cliché is that he who pays the piper calls the tune. In this instant, Americans and Britons and Europeans are paying the piper, but China calls the tune. Nuts to that. Because when it comes to China, there's only one tune worth calling. April 3rd, 2020. From my house arrest to yours. It's your Stein Show Coronacopia. Everybody was Kung Flu fighting. Those stats climbed fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. Chakons of expert timing. There were funky China men from funky Wuhan town. They were chopping bats up, they were chowing them down. It's an ancient Chinese dish, and everybody says delish. Chairman Z will book your flight, you'll be in Milan tonight, and everybody starts Kung Flu fighting. Okay, okay, that's enough of that. As another week ends, there are supposedly more than a million confirmed Chinese virus cases worldwide. That number's meaningless. America supposedly has a quarter of those cases. That percentage is uh, meaningless. Yesterday, China only had... Ooh, 31 new cases. Uh, Yeah, as for that number... I think the head of the statistics office has uh, mixed it up with how many whistleblowers in Wuhan they killed yesterday, or the number of World Health Organization bureaucrats they bought holiday homes for. In the Philippines, the president has ordered that corona lockdown scoff laws be shot on site. One way to keep your COVID death rate down is by having people die of something else, like gunshot wounds. In Turkmenistan, the president has made it illegal for anyone to speak the word coronavirus, uh, which makes it hard to get a test or a diagnosis. Uh, Turkmenistan has some form in this department. The incumbent's uh, presidential predecessor, Turkmenbashi, 
The great Turkmen Bashi renamed the month of January after himself a few years ago, and then the month of April, uh, he renamed that after his mother. He banned lip-syncing because he was tired of seeing elderly pop singers mouthing to their old hits like they do in Milivanilistan. And he uh, banned news anchors from wearing makeup as he found it hard to tell the men from the women, a policy that has now gone worldwide. Uh, as you'll know if you've switched on cable TV in the last couple of weeks. Is making the word coronavirus illegal an effective means of combating the disease? Well, Kyrgyzstan reports 116 cases. Uzbekistan reports 221 cases. Afghanistan, 273 cases. Kazakhstan, 453 cases. But Turkmenistan reports no cases. It's the corona-free stan of stands. In a world of meaningless numbers, how can we get a real sense of what's going on? Well, Wimbledon, the Olympics, and the Democrat presidential primary may be off, but if you like hard-fought competitions, there's an online campaign to get Dr. Anthony Fauci, named People magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, a title previously won by David Beckham, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Idris Elba. If uh, Dr. Fauci is now the sexiest man alive, the death count must be way higher than they're telling us. Our China shill of the day, that's Canada's health minister, Patty Hadju, who said at her press conference that if you question China's pulled out of a bat's butt numbers, you're feeding into an internet conspiracy theory. There's no indication that the data that came out of China uh, in terms of their infection rate and their death rate uh, was falsified in any way. Sorry, please let her finish. Ian? So... I would say that your question is feeding into the conspiracy theories that many people have been perpetuating on the on the internet. And it's important to remember that there is no way to beat a global pandemic if we're actually not willing to work together as a globe. No country is an island. Hold that thought. No country is an island, says Canada's health minister. Actually, Cyprus is an island. Cuba is an island. Australia is an island. And so the coronavirus actually has to be flown in to that country through that country's airspace, which is a system under the control of those islands' governments and which they can modify at any time, or could have, last month or in February or late January. Ah, but poor Paddy Hadju and her sino-suck-uppery. Confucius say he who control world supply of antibiotics in age of disease has you over a barrel. We need to end this, we need to decouple from China, and we need government ministers uh, who are prepared to speak honestly about this relationship right now. Our celebrity coronavirus victim of the day, Ray Benson, the lead singer of Asleep at the Wheel, has tested positive for COVID-19. I'm, uh, I'm very sad about this. Uh, many years ago, my friend Dilly Keane from the British cabaret group Fascinating Aida, Dilly and I went to see Asleep at the Wheel at the Lebanon Opera House in New Hampshire when uh, Dilly was visiting me. She's a big fan of Western Swing, and we had a grand old time that I look back on very fondly uh, that evening. Uh, Ray sang this then-recent hit of theirs, 
which is good advice in an age of social distancing. When you spot a cute chick across the street yet cannot approach. Just walk on by. Wait on the corner. I love you, but we're strangers when we meet. Indeed. Get well soon, Ray Benson. Uh, this next feature is proving popular to the point where our Canuck, Aussie, Kiwi and other listeners are demanding whether it can be extended uh, to Her Majesty's constabularies around the Commonwealth. Well, maybe, maybe, but for today, for today we're confining it to her original police force at Scotland Yard. Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. As you know, in the United Kingdom, only non-essential businesses such as food shops remain open. And if you go to get food, you have to maintain a distance from other customers of six feet or two meters. Most people have no real idea what six feet is when people are circling around you looking for the scotch eggs and cheesy watsits. So Deputy Manager Gemma Migdal of Grzynski's Bakery in Edgware, northwest London, made chalk marks on the pavement outside the shop to show how far apart customers should stand while queuing to be one of the five persons at a time admitted to the store. Then a wanker constable from the Metropolitan Police showed up to fine her 80 or £120 for graffitiing the sidewalk. Gemma. This is ridiculous. I guess the police want people to die. Go ahead. Good for Gemma Migdal for standing firm in the face of petty tyranny. If the state presumes to do to free people what it has done this last month, then it must be in an emergency. And in an emergency, uh, the state's apparatchiks have to be able to prioritise. This wanker constable proved himself unable to prioritise as Scotland Yard has been forced to clarify, thanks to Miss Migdal's firmness. She's the one doing the right thing, marking out what social distancing two metres looks like, whereas Constable Jobsworth is your Brit wanker metre maid of the day. Every doomsday show needs a bit of token good news, and so we have our token good news spot. As you know, 
old people in your 90s, 80s, 70s, late 50s, mid 30s, uh, they're lowering the bar on that definition of old every day. Old people are especially vulnerable to the China virus, but nevertheless, it need not be a death sentence. A week ago, a 101-year-old Italian left his hospital in Rimini and went home with his COVID-19 all cleared up. A few days later, that record was broken when Bill Lapshies became the oldest man on earth to beat the coronavirus, born in 1916, a survivor of the 1918-1920 Spanish flu. Mr. Lapshies celebrated his 104th birthday, basking in the sun and enjoying his cake outside his veterans' home in Oregon. Good for you, sir, and many happy returns. Fight the quarantine blues with Mark Stein's newest tale for our time. What better way to escape from the global pandemic right outside your door than with a fantastic tale about the... The plague? Am I reading this right? Not sure whether this counts as escapist entertainment, but transport yourself back to a 1665 that looks a lot like 2020, complete with quarantines and social distancing. Tune into SteinOnline.com nightly for the newest episode of Mark Stein's reading of Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year. Tales for Our Time serializations are available exclusively to members of the Mark Stein Club. Listen to all 35 tales, including the present one, by going to steinonline.com T-F-O-T. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. Some rhymes for the times as we go from bad to verse. If you're used to vain attempts to give up booze or cream buns for Lent, this year is a little different. This Lent, the church is giving up church for Lent. All over Christendom, from its heart in Rome and Jerusalem to its uh, distant redoubts amidst palm and pine, public observances of Holy Week are being cancelled by the church's order, if not the state's. In New York, Uh, Andrew Cuomo is threatening, uh, if I understand him correctly, to take away church permits if they go ahead uh, with services. That's a first in 808 years since uh, March 1208, when King John refused to accept Pope Innocent III's choice of Archbishop of Canterbury, Cardinal Langton, and forbade English clerics from uh, celebrating the sacrament. And so, on the eve of Holy Week, the Christian Church at large looks much as it does in its most fragile outposts in Iraq and the like, where there is no public observance of the church calendar, and faith must thrive in isolation, uh, like Christ himself in his own rapid descent from the hazards of Palm Sunday to the uh, serious social distancing of the days that followed. If you're a Mark Stein show regular, you'll be familiar with uh, Christina Rossetti. Carol Wellsman sang a beautiful version of uh, Miss Rossetti's uh, enduring seasonal classic, In the Bleak Midwinter, on our Christmas show just a few weeks ago before the world changed. And I read her brother Dante Gabriel Rossetti's Ballad of Dead Ladies for our Sunday poem, uh, 
a few months back, last year. Christina Rossetti wrote perhaps more poems for Easter and Holy Week than any poet of her day. But I've chosen one that comes at it more obliquely and perhaps is more apt for our uh, situation. The Palm Sunday procession winds down from the Mount of Olives on a steep descent along the Jerusalem Road and then uphill again to the city gates. Uh, That's millions of us around the world on what President Trump calls the V-shaped curve of this recession. Here is Christina Rossetti's poem of 1861, a series of nervous questions and certain answers. Uphill. Does the road wind uphill all the way? Yes, to the very end. Will the day's journey take the whole long day? From morn to night, my friend. But is there for the night a resting place, a roof for when the slow dark hours begin? May not the darkness hide it from my face? You cannot miss that in. Shall I meet other wayfarers at night, those who have gone before? Then must I knock or call when just in sight? They will not keep you standing at that door. Shall I find comfort, travel sore and weak? Of labour you shall find the sum. Will there be beds for me and all who seek? Yea, beds for all who come. Uphill by Christina Rossetti. Beds for all who come, she assures us. It's not quite that straightforward uh, right now in an Italian or French, British or American hospital these days. But on this weekend of Palm Sunday, Christina Rossetti is a grand companion and a testament of faith on the uphill climb. A poem from me to you. Yes, Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Wanda Sherratt, a first-week founding member of the Stein Club, and my fellow Ontarian, writes, I remember when Laura Rosen-Cohen coined the phrase, security is the new shut-up. Would you say that now health is the new shut-up? There seems to be no end to the things that government is now entitled to order us to do, all in the name of health. Andrew Cuomo whom we just mentioned, threatened to permanently close churches that refuse to obey his orders. Why shouldn't he be able to insist that all religious messages have to be vetted and officially approved by the government too, lest they lead to someone doing something unhealthy? I just heard on the CBC that it will take another two weeks before authorities can determine if the current measures are flattening the curve. If, in other words, they don't know. They've just blindly thrown our society off a cliff on the chance that something someone said might happen. If two weeks go by and the curve is still going up, what then? Does anyone remotely imagine that Trudeau will say, well, that experiment didn't pan out, everyone might as well go back to normal? No, they'll just keep doing it for another two weeks and then another two weeks and then another two weeks, all the while insisting on their absolute authority to do anything they want to us because health. We're in extraordinary times, Wanda. For the first time in human history, every major economy, from America to India to Germany, except one, oddly enough, can you guess, boys and girls, what it is? Oh, yes, China. 
China, who gave the world this thing. But for the first time, every other major uh, economy has decided to hurl itself off a cliff as its strategy of flattening the curve. Let's just say it does flatten the curve. What happens then? Two, three weeks' time, everyone says, OK, the curve's flattened, let's all go out again. What happens then if you still have all the insanity and the flights to China resume? Uh, they've never really stopped as far as Justin is concerned. And then two, three weeks after flattening the curve, there's another little cluster. Oh, who knows where it is? Maybe it's Moose Jaw this time. Uh, or maybe it's uh, Des Moines or... Uh, maybe it's Carrick Fergus in beautiful Ulster. And then suddenly it all pops up all over again. So this strategy, even if it were to work, I don't see how it prevents uh, the curve just resuming uh, once they declare an end to it. Furthermore, uh, as I said three weeks ago on Rush, we're basically all on Italy's curve. Uh, it's just, uh, I said on Rush three weeks ago that Spain was five days behind. That's proved true, except that in Spain it's even worse, so they've just overtaken the total number of cases that Italy has. And the, the United Kingdom was a few days behind that, and Canada and America a couple of weeks behind that. So even if you flatten the curve, what's to prevent the curve just resuming because of the indulgence of the open borders crowd and the cheap labor crowd and the uh, seasonal foreign labor crowd and all the other half-wits of the globalist world? The one exception to this, oddly enough, is Sweden. Uh, Sweden, uh, which is, as uh, my... Uh, Danish, Norwegian, and Finnish friends will be happy to confirm, by far the nuttiest of the Scandinavian countries. It has the world's first feminist government. That's how it labels itself. It's intersectional up the wazoo. But it said that you can... They've decided. They explained why they took the decision they did. They would not impose these conditions because they had no idea whether these conditions uh, would make any difference or when they would end. Uh, we already know it's not going to be ended by the summer. That's by why Wimbledon and the Olympics and Joe Biden's coronation are all off. So we know that these emergency measures are going to be staying in place in some form or other for two, three, four months. Sweden's taken the view that uh, the world's first feminist intersectional government nevertheless uh, has a residual belief in individual liberty. And if you're old or you have an underlying condition, then self-quarantining is on you. If you've never heard of this thing by now, then you must have just landed from Mars. Uh, it's your decision to keep yourself safe by self-quarantining. And if you let your idiot uh, grandson into the house, the one who's been partying on beaches and nightclubs and bars every night with thousands of people and is the weak link in the chain, then that too is on you. It's a bizarre world when the feminist intersectionists uh, are, are, the, uh, are the only ones uh, with even a residual commitment, not just to individual liberty, but individual responsibility. Mark Stein's Last Call. Gary Alexander, a great jazz expert and great jazz broadcaster among our Stein Club family, commented after our last show to the effect that COVID-19 was cutting a swathe through American jazz. 
mainly because a lot of legendary players are based in New York and New Orleans, and their mayors were homicidally irresponsible in urging the citizenry to get out for Mardi Gras and the Chinese New Year just a couple of weeks ago. So just 48 hours ago, I played a great pianist, Mike Longo, uh, playing a Rodgers and Hart song whose title seemed soberingly appropriate. I didn't know what time it was. Since then, we've lost another great pianist who made another great record of I didn't know what time it was. Very different. Ellis Marsalis. marvellous musician and teacher of uh, Harry Connick Jr., among others, and the patriarch of an awesome musical family tree, father of saxophonist Branford Marsalis, trumpeter Winton Marsalis, tromponist Delfayo Marsalis, uh, drummer Jason Marsalis. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 85, Ellis Marsalis. I'm wise and I know what time it is now, but I'm not sure we can tie our obituary column together with the I didn't know what time it was jazz pianist of the day every day. Uh, so how about something... Uh, from four decades ago, round about the time the edgier end of the pop biz was transitioning from punk to new wave. I think. I'm on wobbly ground here. But if you were hanging out in the hipper joints around New York City, you might have run into a mononymous chanteuse called Christina, the daughter of an American illustrator and a French psychoanalyst. She dropped out of Harvard and took up with the heir-to-the-mother-care chain of British maternity stores. He started a record label uh, just for her and put out a record of Christina singing Disco Clone with a contribution from Kevin Klein. I went down to the disco last Saturday night looking for action, feeling all right. One lady dancing was such a delight. As I sauntered up to meet her, she said... Boys, to be honest, the only Christina record I really remember was her hipster rewrite of Peggy Lee's Brechtian Dirge, Is That All There Is? The authors, Lieber and Stoller, loathed her version and took her to court over it, but in some strange way, it has the tenor of the time. I remember when I was a little girl My mother set the house on fire She was like that I'll never forget the look on my father's face As he dragged me out of the building and onto the pavement And I stood there shivering in my pajamas And watched the whole world go up in flames And when it was all over I said to myself Is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? 
dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 61, Christina. I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to the term dialect coach, which has been applied somewhat more loosely in recent years. But at its essence, it means the guy who helps an actor develop the right voice for a stage or screen role that might uh, require particular geographic or historic or social nuances. Andrew Jack was one of the very best in a highly specialised business. He worked with Pierce Brosnan, an Irishman, on his accent for James Bond, an Etonian Scotsman. Uh, You can see Andrew Jack on screen in three of the Star Wars films, if I'm counting correctly, but you can sort of tell it's the dialogue he's focused on. For the Lord of the Rings films, he invented an entire range of Middle-earth accents. Here's Andrew Jack rather more modestly with a brisk vocal tour of the British Isles. Received pronunciation is the great communicator. As soon as you deviate from that and you go into London speech, for example, then you lose a little bit of the communication. Cockney is based on East Anglian, Suffolk, Norfolk, Cambridgeshire. This is often by actors confused with the West Country where the R has come in and then you get Dorset and Somerset, get into Cornwall. Devon's slightly different. It goes into the nose a bit more like that. Then you go up north to Yorkshire. It's nice if you get a word that's got one of the predominant sounds in it like Yorkshire then you cross the Pennines into Lancashire where it gets much more flexible and fluid in the mouth. Liverpool is there too, you know, it's Scouse, it's a mixture of all kinds of sounds. One of those is Northern Irish with the raising inflections but you don't get the raising inflections down on Dublin where it has that poetic quality which is sometimes thought of as being not different from Highland speech which is uh, also quite poetic and almost Scandinavian and then you come down to Glasgow and into the lowlands of Scotland where you get glottal stops and things like that then you come down the west coast and you're in Wales, North Wales where it's breathy like that and down into South Wales where you get much heavier and Welsh people who sometimes even sound a bit drunk Let's break out the and have a ball Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 76, two days after being diagnosed. Andrew Jack. Gita Ramji was an expert in one virus who was felled by another. For more on the story, we are now joined by Professor Gita Ramji, Director of the HIV Prevention Research Unit at the South African Medical Research Council in our Cape Town studio. Professor Ramji, thank you so much for joining us. Now, South Africa has today begun the clinical trial. Um, How significant is this development? It's very significant because it's mainly a target, it's designed for the South African epidemic. Born in colonial Uganda, forced into exile in India, educated in England, Gita Ramji survived Idi Amin and she helped her adopted South Africa survive AIDS. After giving a lecture on HIV in London a fortnight ago, she flew back to Durban and brought the fatal virus home with her. HIV is still the leading cause of death in South Africa. Now, this is despite health intervention information and resources being available. Why do we still have a high rate of infection? 
I think the, the epidemic in South Africa is uh, where we have oh, one 1,000 people in, getting infected every single day. And the vulnerability, there are com multiple components to the vulnerability of HIV. There's social or uh, behavioral components, there's structural components, access to care, people not taking care. There's a whole lot of prevention options like condoms if used consistently can prevent HIV infection. However, these are not used consistently. I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 60, Gita Ramji. Eddie Large was the larger half of a long-running double act with Sid Little, Little and Large. It was what the BBC called light entertainment, although it could be somewhat heavy going. What have you got behind your back? A big fat bum, what have you? At the height of their fame in the 1980s, Little and Large pulled audiences of almost 20 million people in a nation of 55 million, that's well over a third of the population, with many millions more around the Commonwealth. Amazing. Yet they were cancelled in 1991, not because they were no longer popular, but because trendy BBC executives were embarrassed by how square it all was. Eddie Large accepted it with less bitterness than many comics, his kids were driving down from Manchester on the day that Spike Milligan of the Goons checked out. When they turned on the radio, said Eddie, the first thing they heard was comedy legend dies. I told them as soon as they heard the word legend, they should have known it wasn't me. In recent years, he was plagued with what we currently call underlying conditions, but not as odd as the ones that afflicted him and Sid in the little and large toy hospital sketch. Looks like a scene from MASH. <laughs> I'm supposed to be an action man. And you've seen plenty of it by the look of you. You don't know the half of it. Boxing day, look at me, I'm falling apart. Ah, kids don't deserve toys nowadays. Nah. We'd be better off left in the shops. Yeah. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? The little boy that owns me, <laughs> right little comic is, Pulls this off and then starts saying, Oh, what's this here? He's hearing me squeak. Listen. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 78, Eddie Large. Music and lyrics there, mostly by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, but not that line about the lewds. Is that all there is? Well, yes it is, just about. We shall return next week, uh, but our 007 John Barry-style arrangement of our Stein Show theme tune went down rather well last Friday, so let's reprise it for this weekend. And in honour of Andrew Jack and the Bond star he works so closely with, uh, from Goldeneye to Die Another Day. 
Here's Pierce Brosnan. Thank you, Mr. The name's Bond. James Bond. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. It's reserved.